was it bad? What was it like? Working with him, working with her. You'll hear all the tales you wish you knew. Every aspect of the theater too. Feel your love of Broadway anew. On backstage babble. Hi. This is Charles Kirsch, and welcome to Backstage Babble. Backstage Babble is a podcast interviewing professionals in the theater industry about themselves, their careers, and the people they've worked with along the way. Today, Backstage Babble is bringing you something to be thankful for. Broadway star Michael Rupert, Tony winner Michael Rupert started his career at the age of 15, starring in Candor and Ebb's The Happy Time, and has worked steadily ever since, including playing Marvin in Falsettos in all of its many forms. He also wrote and starred in the musical Mail. His other numerous acting credits include Pippin, Legally Blonde, Sweet Charity, and more. Today is another two-part episode, so I hope you enjoyed the first half of my conversation with this brilliant actor, Michael Rupert. I want to ask you, how did you first get interested in theater? Um, well, I started, uh, I started uh, very young, you know. Uh, I, I always knew when I was a little kid that I enjoyed performing, you know, because I do like school plays and things like that. But I also, I grew up in Los Angeles, so beca just because of geography, because there was professional show business there, yeah. I actually got involved in, in professional stuff when yeah. I was about 12 years old. Um, I did a play uh, uh, at a theater called the Pasadena Playhouse, and um, I was able to get an agent from that play oh. and my parents were my parents were actually cool with that you know my parents thought okay well if it's something he, that really interests him so you know we'll support him mm -hmm. and when i was again when i was about 12 years old i started uh getting jobs on television yeah. uh doing you know doing like uh you know guest shots on TV shows and things like that. Yeah. And then, um, but I always really, you know, I had done a, a two or three plays in Los Angeles, and I really loved doing theater. So when I was 15, I actually auditioned for a Broadway musical, and um, I got the job. So that's kind of how my whole, uh, how I got involved in Broadway was when I was a teenager. So it was so, always acting that you wanted to do from the very beginning? Yeah, well, I really, I knew that I really loved doing it. You know, again, just being in, in, in plays and in, in, in shows in, high, in, in school, you know, in, in junior high school, middle school, I, I knew I really loved doing it. I, I also had been a singer since oh. I was very, very young, since I was a little kid, you know. I mean, yeah. by about five years old, I was, like, singing up a storm, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so I knew that, I knew that as a very, you know, from a very young age, that I really enjoyed performing. I enjoyed singing. I, you know, um, the, uh, the 
first, I, I think the, the very first thing I ever sang in public was um, I sang a solo at our church, of oh. all things, uh, for, for uh, Christmas Eve Mass at our church, and um, I actually did pretty well, you know, and I, I think I couldn't have been more than like 11 years old or something like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, so again, I, I knew, I just knew from a very young age that, that you know, uh, I thought this is something I would really like to do, you yeah. know. My parents, of course, didn't really think I'd go on and continue to do it. Oh. They thought, well, this is, they thought, well, this is, this is kind of a, something he'll do while he's a kid, but yeah. then he'll go on to become a dentist, <laughs> you know, yeah. or something, or something like that. Uh, but it didn't work out that way. I kept doing theater. So did you do a lot of sort of training or did it really come naturally to you from a young age? Uh, it, it really did come pretty natural for me. Um, Though I did, I did do some training, uh, again, when I was, uh, you know, when I was in my early teens, I uh, did a lot of, uh, I took a lot of classes, uh, near where I lived in, oh. in Los Angeles. Um, uh, again, there was this theater, the Pasadena Playhouse, which was a very, uh, big prestigious theater at the time. And I took classes there that's okay. how I got in that first play that I was cast in there and um, so I took a lot of you know I, t I, I took uh, you know some singing classes there I took some acting classes there um, but it's still you know it was still the kind of thing that just kind of came natural to me you know yeah. so you yeah you were mentioning that you did a lot of TV jobs in your early acting days. So what do you think you sort of learned about acting from these early professional jobs? Uh, you know, more than anything, I learned, I think I learned discipline. You yeah. know, I learned that that when, you know, I had a, I had a lot of directors when I was very young that... Uh, didn't treat me any differently than the they you know than he or she treated all the adults in in the show yeah. whether it was on whether it was in in, a, in something on stage in the theater or whether it was on television or film you know mm -hmm. um, I I knew that I had to be prepared you know I had to know my lines <laughs> I had to yeah. I once I got on you know once I got on set, uh, to film something, I knew that I had to really concentrate. Um, so what I, th I think that's one of the biggest things, uh, Charles, that I learned yeah. when I was young is just the kind of discipline that, that it takes to be an actor. Um, and to be an actor in theater, in a lot of ways, takes even more discipline than to be an actor in television and film. You know, yeah, that's so I think my early work in television uh, really helped me, uh, you know, you, you know, it, it, it helped with that. I had also done some theater, so I was very disciplined and, and it kept teaching me that. Yeah. So how did you sort of find out about the audition for The Happy Time and what was it like to audition? Uh, well, I had an agent. 
at the time. Oh, that's right. And I, I had an agent in California, in Los Angeles, and she called called me up and said they are looking for uh, an actor to play this teenage boy in this Broadway musical called The Happy Time. And is that something that I would be interested in auditioning for? And I talked to my parents, knowing that if, you know, if I got this job, my mother or my, well, my mother, because she didn't work at the time, she was going to have to move to New York with me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. so there, this was a big deal. You know, if, if I got this job, it was going to be a big change for my family. Yeah. So I, I ended up going, and uh, I ended, and they said, "Okay, well, let's just cross that bridge when we get to it." <laughs> yeah. So I, so I went and I auditioned for the for the for the show. Um, I actually was one of the last actors that they oh. saw for this part because they had they had been all over. They'd seen uh, actors in New York and in 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 Chicago and all over the place. And they finally came back to Los Angeles where they had started their auditions and they still hadn't found anybody. And mm-hmm. so I came in and auditioned. I was the, like the second to last person to audition and I got the job yeah. and um, mm-hmm. the show rehearsed and opened in California in Los Angeles before um, coming to New York. So at least during rehearsal and all of that, I was able to still stay at home with my family. And um, uh, and then sure enough, we the show moved to New York and my mom came with me, you know. <laughs> my mom moved to New York with me for, for a year. So then I want to ask you about that show, but I'm curious, after the happy time was over, did you move back or did you stay in New York? Oh, yes. No, no. After after the happy time was over, I moved back to Los Angeles oh, okay. uh, because I had been away from California for about a year. And um, my dad and my sister were still back in L.A. They were oh, back in okay. Los Angeles. So I, um, I moved back there to finish high school. You know, I still had a year of school to do. Yeah. And so I did, I know I didn't, I didn't stay in New York, but I knew after I'd done the happy time, I knew that I wanted to get back to New York. Yeah. Uh, but preferably, I would like to do it with a job. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like if I could somehow get cast in another Broadway show and that could bring me back to New York, that would be great. You know? Yeah. So I did go home to, to California after the happy time. So during the happy time, you were working with a lot of big musical comedy stars, Robert Goulet and George S. Irving, I think. So yeah. were they all sort of nice to you or respectful of you? Yeah, they were. They were really great. I mean, it was yeah. a it, it was a, a really good company, a good group of people, very talented, and uh, a lot of them had had really done a lot of shows. You know, they were very yeah. experienced. So they were, um, they were very nice to me, you know, they were, they were really good. They, they kind of looked out after me and, and whenever I was having any trouble, if, um, if I needed their advice, you know, I could go to them for the advice. 
Yeah. And um, it was a it was a really good experience all the way around. So, what were your interactions like with Gower Champion, and what did you think about the conceit of having film in the show? Uh, that's interesting. You know about that. That's very cool. Uh, yeah, uh, Gower was was great. He was very uh, he was very tough in terms of like, you know, what I talked about. I learned a lot of discipline. Yeah. Early on, well, he really he really was. Uh, you know, very hard on me in terms of like, I really had to, you know, show that I knew what I was doing. Yeah. So he didn't, he didn't pamper me at all just because I was a 15 year old, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he, he really made me work hard and, um, and, and like you say, like, you know, about this film that was involved in the show, he had this idea that, you know, there was a huge, big, almost like a movie screen at the back of the stage. And uh, the show had to do with a photographer. Uh, My uncle, played by Robert Coulet, was a photographer. And every time he took a picture as a photographer on stage, you saw that picture on the screen. And And it was really one of the first times they'd ever used like this multimedia kind of thing in a Broadway show. Yeah. And then at one point, uh, his character, my, uh, my, the character of my uncle, Bob's character, gave me a camera. And I took the camera to school and started taking pictures of all of the kids in school. I went to this, I, in the story, I went to this boys' school. And every time a picture was taken, you saw that picture on the screen. And it was actually very cool. I thought it was a really interesting uh, interesting thing to do. Like I say, it was like the fir- really almost the first time that Broadway had ever seen anything like that. You know, mm-hmm. now of course it's very common to have mm-hmm. mixed media on stage. You know, true. but at the time it was not. You know. Yeah. So was it ever overwhelming for you at fifteen to be starring in a Broadway show? You know, it, it it really it really wasn't overwhelming to me because uh, you know what I was I to be honest with you I was just like a fifteen year old having a lot of fun. Yeah. I just thought it was uh, you know I thought it was great being in a Broadway show. It was um, you know it was just a lot you know I I had to work very hard like I said, yeah. but it was just an enormous amount of fun. And I just looked at it kind of as a lark, you know. It was just like, yeah. hey, I'm on Broadway, man. I'm having a great time. <laughs> and I'm in, the, I'm in this very cool show, and I get to sing, sing and dance on, on Broadway every night. And uh, it, was, it, it was fun. Yeah. So you were talking about people being tough. So that leads me to ask you about, did you have any interaction with David Merrick, who was producing the show? David Merrick, yeah, uh, you know something. I had very little, little to do with him. Um, he was a notoriously tough producer. Yeah. You know, he was uh, not a terribly nice man to most people. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But uh, I honestly had very little to do with him. I think I even met him like twice. Oh. Um, and 
but you know, as as you probably know, there are lots of horror stories about <laughs> David Merrick. Let me tell you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So your next Broadway show was Pippin. So uh -huh. was that when you moved to New York for good, or? It was, yeah, yeah. See, that's, you know, the Pippin thing happened exactly like, you know, that's how I exactly wanted to come back to New York. Yeah. Because after I graduated high school, I actually stayed in Los Angeles, and I was uh, doing a lot of work in L.A. I was doing a lot of theater work. I was doing a lot of television and film work. Yeah. And so I was, you know, I was making a living, and I kept thinking, you know, I really want to go back to New York with a show, but I don't want to go back there, you know, I don't really want to go back there and, and have to have a job like waiting on tables or doing some kind of other thing. I would love to go back there with a show. And I thought, well, as long as I'm in California and I'm making a living, well, I guess I'll just stay here until something like that happens. Yeah. Well, fortunately... Um, I had done um, I had done a couple of shows at a theater in Los Angeles, and the casting director at that theater uh, gave me a call one day, and he said, "There, you know, the producer of of Pippin, the Broadway musical Pippin, is going to be in Los Angeles, and he's looking for someone to replace John Rubenstein, who originated the role of Pippin on Broadway." So Gordon, the casting director, said to me, well, Michael, this could be your ticket back to New York, because Gordon knew that I wanted to get back to New York. And um, so a couple days later, I auditioned for Stu Ostro, who was the producer of Pippin. I auditioned for him in Los Angeles. And the next day, and he, he really liked me, and the next day I flew back to New York, to audition for Bob Fosse, who directed uh, Pippin, and um, and so I, I went to New York, I went back to New York. I auditioned for Bob, and that afternoon they gave me the job. Wow! So, and so. so I ended up, but I didn't I didn't really have to start work for a couple of months. So I went um. back to Los Angeles, knowing that in a couple months' time I was going to be able to come to New York playing the lead in a Broadway show. It all kind of really worked out, you know what I mean? I mean, it was yeah. very cool. So, starting as a replacement in a show, how much sort of direction did you receive from Bob Fosse, or at all? Uh, I actually got a lot of direction from Bob. Oh, uh, he, he really put me in the show, uh, and, you know, between him and the stage managers, um, they... You know, they really gave me all the blocking and, and you know, and, and everything I needed, you know, taught me all the songs. Um, and the thing about Bob that was great with me going into Pippin, um, he didn't expect me to do it just like John had done it, you know. He wanted me to make the role my own. So he worked with me to bring my own self to the role of Pippin and not just be a copy of what uh, what John Rubenstein had done. So, you know, so that's that's really pretty great, you know, when 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 that happens. Yeah. So had you ever seen John Rubenstein do it? You know, I actually did. Uh, I saw John actually 
the night after they gave me the job before I went back to New York, uh, I said, you know, uh, Bob said to me after, after he said, well, I want you to, I want you to take over for John. He said, have you ever seen the show? <laughs> and I said, well, no. <laughs> and he said, well, you better come see the show then. Uh, so that night I went to see the show and I saw John do it and John was terrific. You know, yeah. uh, John was great. So I did see him do it before I took over. And then of course, once I came back to New York to start rehearsal for the show, I then, uh, I then sat through the show several times watching John do the role. So I had, you know, um, I had, I had, you know, so I, I, so I saw him several times before I actually started. Yeah. So on, yeah. on this show and on the Happy Time, how much did you get to sort of work with the composers, Stephen Schwartz and Kander and Ed? Um, uh, well, on the Happy Time, uh, because it was a new show, uh, I worked with John and Fred a lot. Yeah. You know, they they taught me. You know, they really they really taught me the songs. Uh, and so I really got to, got to work with them and I got to know them very well on Pippin because I was a replacement. I didn't really have hardly anything to do with Steven Schwartz. Um, yeah. he was not really around at the time, uh, though he did come see me in the show. Once I got in the show, uh, and give me, he gave me a couple of notes about the songs but um, but as far as I remember, Stephen really wasn't around when I was put into Pippin. Yeah. Yeah. So early, very early on in your career, you worked with all these famous musical comedy masters of the form. So what's something you sort of learned from all of them? Um, well, I think, you know... Uh, uh, well, again, I'm just I kind of I'm going to go back to what I started. What I really started learning as a very young young guy is I learned I learned two things when we when we're going to be doing this, uh, we're going to work very hard, yeah. but we're also but we're also going to have fun doing it. We want to have fun, mm -hmm. but we want to be very focused and work very hard. Um, the other thing that I learned mostly from Bob Fosse is that, um, that, you know, we're, you know, you, uh, I have to give a, per, you know, I, I have to go out there and give a performance eight times a week. And after you've done, you know, a show for maybe what, three months, four months, a year, even, um, yeah. it's yeah. hard not to be bored, you know, That's because you're really, you're really doing the same thing eight times a week. Yeah. And, and so Bob kept reminding me, he's, you know, whenever he would, I would talk to him or he would come back and see the show and he would talk with me afterwards. He said, remember, you know, there's going to be, you know, even if there's one person out there who's never seen a Broadway show before, it's their first Broadway show. And, and this is an, a magical experience for them. That's true. So he said, I want you, you, you need to always keep it as fresh as possible and as live as possible. And, you know, and I, I learned along the way lots of little tricks how to do that. Yeah. Uh, so, 
so I think that, that, you know, with a lot of the people I worked with, again, as a young man, um, I learned, that's the kind of stuff that I learned. What are some of the ways that you prevent something from getting stale? Well, you know, one of the best ways is uh, you never stop listening. Does that make sense? Because yeah. you know what? You know, all, all acting is, is really, is that the person you're in the scene with, they say something, and then you say something, and then they say something, and then you say something. <laughs> and most of the time, you're, you're saying something in reply, in response to what they said. So if you're really hearing them, if you're not just doing it by rote, if you keep listening, that's really one of the ways to keep everything fresh. And, and also the truth of the matter is, once you've done a role for, you know, six months, you've done the same thing eight times a week for six months, there are just little, you know, you, you kind of, you know, there are times when you are going to be on automatic pilot. You know what I mean? I mean, you, you can't be totally there every second of every performance, but you, there's, you've just, you've just, uh, an actor learns enough technique that it's still going to look very fresh to the audience. Yeah. Um, but then if you start to slip into times when it, it starts to get to be too, too, uh, rote, uh, you try to go back. What I try, I've always tried to do is go back to really listening. You know, yeah. don't, don't forget to listen because that's a very important thing. That's true. Yeah. So, so did you ever experience sort of a, the challenge or the darker side maybe of being a child actor or? Um, I, you know, I actually really didn't. Yeah. Um, there's not, you know, there's always, you know, you always hear some horror stories about, you know, being a kid in the business. Um, no matter what it is, you know, whether it's creepy people around or it's, you know, uh, parents who push you into the business or, and they're too aggressive about it or whatever it is. Um, I, I, you know, I really never experienced any of that. I, yeah. I really had a fairly drama-free life as, <laughs> as a, a child actor. You know, you, you also, it's really sad because you always hear about, you know, um, child actors who then kind of stop working once they yeah. grow up, you know, and a lot of them don't really stop acting because they choose to. They really stop acting because they've grown out of their their cuteness or their whatever made them special. Um, and a lot of times those you hear stories about, you know, some of these child actors really going off the deep end. You know, mm -hmm. they whether it's, you know, they, you know, they get into to alcohol or drugs even, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, they, they really, mm -hmm. you know, they talk about take, take, you know, taking a turn to the, to the dark side. That's true. They can't, ha they can't handle the fact that at one point they were, they were, you know, really in the spotlight and now mm -hmm. suddenly they're not. Um, for whatever reason, I was kind of very fortunate that, you know, I went from being, uh, you know, uh, a, really a, a boy, a child actor. Yeah. And, and I was able to continue acting when I was in my twenties 
and then in my 30s, and <laughs> I could just continue on, you know? Yeah. So I was, in a lot of ways, I think I was very fortunate. Uh, but I also, to be honest, too, I also worked very hard, you know, That's... to to make make that happen. Yeah. So your next Broadway show was Shakespeare's Cabaret. So you got to do famous Shakespeare monologues in that. Was that something you'd studied at school? Uh, no, it actually wasn't. Um, the thing about Shakespeare's Cabaret was it was a, um, you know, a, a, a composer had taken a lot of the poems and, and sonnets of Shakespeare and set them to contemporary music. So, you know, so it was like, you know, one minute we were doing, a, I would be doing something that was like country western, and the next minute would be something that was, you know, really rock, yeah. you know, or, or whatever it was. But in terms of like, I had never studied Shakespeare in school. Um, I had done in like a summer, summer theater workshop when I was a teenager, I had done a, a production of, of another Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm -hmm. uh, oh no, a Midsummer Night's Dream. And, um, uh, but I didn't really, you know, it, I, I don't really remember that very much. You know, I, I didn't yeah. really study Shakespeare, though I did get to do that when I was a teenager, that one thing in the, in the summer workshop. So in Shakespeare's Cabaret, it was, you know, it was the kind of show that we didn't really have to be serious uh, yeah. students of Shakespeare to do it. <laughs> because it was it was a pretty crazy show. Yeah. Is Shakespeare something you would want to do now? Do uh, you know, I did I did one. You know, I, I've I've only done one production of a Shakespeare uh, play. Uh, some years ago, I, I at the Hartford Stage Company up in Hartford, Connecticut, mm -hmm. I was asked by Mark Lamos, the director, to do Merchant of Venice. Oh, really. Uh, to, to play the merchant. Uh, and and I, I told him, you know, I had never really done Shakespeare before, you know, not really seriously. And he said, uh, I didn't even have to audition for it. He just offered me the job. And and he said, uh, well, you know, he said, you know, the, 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 the language is very musical. And he said, you're very musical, Michael. So I think you'd be great. I think you'll do this. And he mm -hmm. said, I will just help you along the way and, and show you how to make the language accessible to today's audiences and, and just make everything clear. And, mm -hmm. uh, so I said, okay, sure, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. And so that was the one time I did a production of a Shakespeare play. I did the merchant of Venice, um, uh, Back in the boy, back in the mid '90s, I think. I think it was oh. about 1995, maybe. So it's a while ago, you know. Um, and I really enjoy. You know what? I enjoyed doing it. There was a lot of people in the play that were very experienced with Shakespeare. So in some ways, I felt a little intimidated by them, but they were all very supportive that I had not done Shakespeare before, other than Shakespeare's Cabaret, and. Um, and I really had a good time. I really enjoyed it. But I also didn't really have a great desire to do my I thought, Okay, 
now I've done some Shakespeare. Now I can move on to something else. So at this point in your career, were you viewing yourself mainly as an actor or a singer? Or a dancer? Um, well, you know what? I was never a dancer. That's yeah. something I never really did. Though in Pippin I had to dance a bit. In the Happy Time I had to dance a bit. But I never, I never seriously studied dancing. Um, and I never really took myself serious as a dancer. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really thought of myself mostly as an actor who sings. And that's really how, how I was approaching my career. I thought, well, you know, I really, I, that's, that's what I do. But the, the, you know, the couple, the, the, the few shows that I, I had already done in New York had been musicals. So most of the people in New York, when they would think of me for jobs, they thought of me for musicals. So, but they also knew that I was, um, for the most part, they knew that I was a pretty serious actor. So they never, I, I never really was considered for, you know, some of the sillier musical comedies. Yeah. Uh, I kind of did, most of the time I did stuff that was a little more serious. And um, so that's kind of how things came, you know, came about for me. So for most of your career, have you got jobs through auditioning or sometimes being offered? Uh, well, early on, uh, early on, I, I, I auditioned for everything. I mean, yeah. I didn't really get any jobs. Uh, that were just offered to me, you know, that, that's what happens. But then what happens is, you know, directors and producers and writers start to see you in a lot of stuff and they start to get to know your work. Yeah. And then it started to happen more, you know, a long, you know, certainly a long time ago, maybe again, around the time I, I was offered the Shakespeare play that I started just to get offers for things, you know. Yeah. Um, people just started to offer me jobs um, because they knew they knew what I could do. They knew if I was right for a part or not. So they pretty much just thought, well, let's just offer it to Michael, you know, yeah. because he'll be good, you know. Yeah. No? And fortunately, I kind of, you know, proved them right, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I didn't, I, I didn't blow it. So this leads me into asking you my next question, which is, how did you come to be involved with March of the Falsettos at Playwrights Horizons? Well, that was, you know, I auditioned for March of the Falsettos. Um, I was called, called into audition, and I auditioned for James Lapine, who was directing the show. And, um, and then uh, he really liked me. He thought I would be very right for the role of Marvin. Mm -hmm. And and so the next day, um, he asked me to bring in all of the music that I had, all of the audition songs that I had. And he and, he and I went through all of the audition songs that I had in my, in my book. And we picked out a song that he knew that Bill Finn, who wrote March of the Falsettos, would like. Oh, because... Wow. There are certain writers, there are certain uh, composers that Bill doesn't like at all. <laughs> so, so James said, well, we want to get, we don't, we, you can't sing a song that Bill 
you know, if Bill hates the writer. Because at the time, William Finn, who wrote March of the Falsettos, was, you know, uh, kind of cra a crazy guy in terms <laughs> of, like, what he liked and what he didn't like. You yeah. know, he was very opinionated. So James and I went through my book, and we found a couple of songs that we knew that Bill, that he knew that Bill would like. Yeah. And so the following day, I auditioned for Bill Finn, and they offered me the job to play Marvin in March of the Falsettos. And they were just putting this little show together, so they didn't really kind of know what it was yet. Yeah. Bill was still writing it, and, and it was just, we just kind of started out working on this thing like a workshop, you know, and, and just playing around with different songs and different scenes, and, and that's kind of how the whole thing came about. Yeah. So you were mentioning it being a workshop. What do you think you sort of contributed to the role as it's done now? Well, I think I, I think that what happens is, and, it, and this happens with any any actor really when they're working on a on a new show, yeah. um, because Bill was still writing the show after I was cast. He would start, you know, what happens is uh, he starts. He would start to write the, uh, the the songs for Marvin in my voice. Oh, he would, oh. you know, that's what happens is a writer starts to hear the actor's voice in their head when they, you know, when they are writing the score. Yeah. So that's what happened with, with, um, with March of the Balsettos is I was kind of bringing myself to the role of Marvin and Bill started really writing the role for me, for who Michael was. Yeah. And... And so I think if anything, you know, that's just kind of what I brought to the role was, was just myself. And then that kind of helped Bill, you know, write and create the role of Marvin. So did you always believe in the show and did you know that it was going to be the success that it was? Oh, no, 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 oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. When we first, you know, when we first were doing March of the Pulsettos, we still, you know, none of us had any idea if it was going to be any good or not. Yeah. We thought, like, this is really a weird show. I mean, you know, we have this opening song, four Jews in a room, bitching, four, you know, and, yeah. and we're just, like, yelling at each other. And, and, and we also thought the subject matter of the show, for the time, had never been done in a musical before. I mean, when yeah. you think about, here was a show about, this guy Marvin, who leaves his wife and his child to to fall in love with a guy, and they all go to see the same shrink. Yeah. And it was it was like this, the subject matter was like something that you had never been done in a musical before. You know, it had never really been done in a play before. Certainly, there were there were gay characters in plays before. Yeah. But this particular story was kind of such a quirky, kind of crazy story in the way that Bill wrote it, and in what the show really was about, uh, and the fact that Marvin was really a very kind of selfish, self-centered guy. Uh, he wasn't the most, you know, likable guy at times in the show. It just seemed like it was... Um, it was a very iffy proposition. 
That's what I felt at the time. So, so even right up to the time we had our very first audience, I don't think any of us, any of the actors in the show really kind of thought it was going to get the reaction that it got. Because after we had the, our very first audience at Playwrights Horizon, the audience just fell in love with the show. They just were captivated by it. And, and we all thought, Oh my God. Wow. (laughs) Who, who, who would have thought, you know? Um, and, and of course it, it went on to have a life, you know? Yeah, it certainly did. So you've had a lot of collaboration throughout your career with William Finn on elegies and on all of the incarnations of falsettos. So why do you think it is that you work so well together? Well, I think it goes back to what I was saying, Charles, about how, you know, about Bill started just to kind of write Marvin with my voice in his head. And um, so uh, certainly once, once I had created the role of, of Marvin, when Bill went on to write Falsetto Land, which mm-hmm. was the sequel to March of the Falsettos, um, there was no kind of no question at that point that I would continue to be Marvin if I wanted, uh, because it was, you know, a continuation of the story. And then... Um, and then I also, um, some, and then of course we did Falsetto Land, and then we, and then we put the show on Broadway as Falsettos, uh, where we put the, where they put the two two shows together into one evening, and I continued on uh, there, and then even sometime later in the nineties, Bill wrote a musical called The New Brain, yeah. and. Um, and he actually asked me to do the first workshop down at the public theater in the village oh, when they goodness. first were doing a new brain. And uh, knowing that I wasn't going to continue with the show because they didn't want that a new brain to look like another Marvin musical. But Bill had written a new brain still hearing my voice in his head. So, um, so I did a workshop of a new brain and then a few years later came Elegies. And Bill once again asked uh, me if I would be in Elegies. Uh, so I think my my relationship with Bill Finn's work really again all goes back to that first, very first production of March of the Falsettos where he kind of hurt, started to hear my voice in his head and um, and when you know, when he would do certain, you know, when he would write certain songs, like some of the songs and elegies that I did, he would hear me singing them, you know? So that's pretty much just how I kept working with Bill. So you were mentioning that that was sort of an unusual subject for a show. Did you ever Uh, have to sort of bear the brunt of any homophobia from casting directors, audience members, critics? Uh, you know something? I, I really didn't. Um, oddly enough, not, not, uh, here's, here's what's really strange. Oddly enough, 
if there, when we did falsettos on Broadway in 1992, um, and it got a lot of press, the weird thing was, if there was any negative comments and any kind of homophobic comments, it came from some gay guys. Yeah. It actually came from some gay writers who felt like Marvin, you know, he was kind of, Marvin was kind of representing gay, gay men, the gay, gay community, but he wasn't either gay enough or he was too much of a jerk. Yeah. And he shouldn't, I shouldn't be playing some, <laughs> I shouldn't be playing a gay guy who was also a jerk. Yeah. So it was kind of, a, you know, a very weird situation. And I even ended up having, you know, writing a, a couple of, you know, uh, letters back and forth to a couple of these people, you know, like, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, we got into yeah. kind of little arguments about it. Um, but to be honest with you, because again, falsettos, especially when the two shows were put together, even a lot of the, you know, what you would, what you would think would be homophobic straight people yeah. coming, to see a sh coming to see a show like this, once they kind of saw that the show really wasn't just about gay people, it was about family. Yeah. And especially with in the second act with Falsetto Land, when Wizard dies, you know, it it was about loss and loss of a loved one, whether you were gay or straight or black or white or not, it doesn't matter, you know what I mean? Yeah. So um so all in all I don't remember getting a lot of real backlash or yeah. a lot of homophobic reaction to the show. Yeah. Not really. So what is your opinion? What did you think about Frank Rich's rave review? And what do you think about reviews in general? Well, you know, just in general, well, first of all, I, 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 I thought Frank Rich's review, rave review was, was great. You know, yeah. it was really wonderful. Um, my, re my opinion of review views in general, because I've been in the business a very long time, and yeah. you know what? The truth is, in my life, I have gotten rave reviews, and in my life, I have also gotten terrible reviews. Yeah. So, you know what? It's like, you know, certainly at this point in my life, you know, I, I, I know that uh, an actor throughout their career, you're going to get good ones and you're going to get bad ones. It yeah. just is what it is. And the truth of the matter is a critic's opinion is just one person's opinion. Yeah. And I have been involved in, in things where, in shows where the critics have been very hard on the show, but the audiences have loved it. And I as I've also been involved in shows in my life that the critics have loved, and then you you can't drag people in to see it. Yeah. So, so that's really what I think about. You know, the thing. You know, my whole I, philosophy on crit critics is 
you know, it, they, they're, they're just, they are there, you know, yeah. and they're a part of the business. And uh, generally, uh, you know, unlike way, way back in the day, uh, when critics had enormous power, uh, critics today don't necessarily make or break a show. That's true. Or make or break a person's career. So you were working with a very talented group of actors, Chip Zion and Mary Testa and Alison Frazier. So did you did the cast sort of bond over doing? Yeah, the cast. You know, the cast of Falsettos. And, and I worked with several different cast members throughout that whole experience. Yeah. But there was always, there was always like the three guys. There was, there was Chip Zion, Stephen McGardis, and myself playing the three men in the show. And so we, it seems like we were kind of the constant throughout the experience. But, you know, all of the, all of the people, because of what Falsettos was about, we really kind of became a family while yeah. we were doing the show. We 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 bought, really did bond. Um, I, you know, I I still keep in touch a little bit with even the, the guys who played my son Jason. Um, and they, you know, they became, you know, they were great. They became good friends of mine. Uh, people like Heather McRae. And, and uh, Barbara and just, you know, Carolee Carmelo and Janet yeah. Metz and just all of these, Allison and all of these people were just really, really are really good actors and they're also good people. Yeah. So um, I've actually throughout my life kind of kept in contact with a lot of them. So when you were doing the original March of the Falsettos, was the sequel always a plan, or did that sort of come up later? Uh, it came up. It, no, it was not initially planned. It, it came up later on. And um, most of it had to do with the fact that in the 1980s, when after March of the Falsettos had happened, um, the, you know, the whole AIDS epidemic, the whole AIDS crisis happened. And that's when Bill Finn decided he felt he needed to address that somehow. Yeah. So that's when he got the idea for Falsetto Land, where he would continue the story of Marvin, and and um, and they would and in in the that show in Falsetto Land they would face what would be the beginning of the AIDS, AIDS epidemic, yeah. Uh, yeah. where. No one knew what was going on. No one knew what this disease was. And that's how the story would continue. So it was, you know, uh, the continuation of the story was not, you know, not planned when we first did March of the Falsettos, no. Yeah. So another thing I want to ask you about the process is, was bringing it to Broadway ever a plan or always a plan? No, it was, uh, initially it was never a plan. Um, it was only a plan, uh, really just before it happened. Um, so it was not planned initially, no. So did you always, you were saying that you would be offered Marvin if they did it again, that you knew that? So was that a difficult decision to make ever or an easy one? Uh, no, it was, it was actually a very easy decision to make. Um, 
And I certainly, you know, let me be clear and honest, you know, it wasn't like a, certainly wasn't like a given that they would offer me to play the role again. Yeah. But I knew that, I knew that both James Lapine, the director, and Bill Finn seemed to be pleased with how I had created Marvin. So if they had not offered me the job, I would have been surprised. You know, <laughs> yeah. if they had not offered me to continue with it, it would have been a surprise to me. But it didn't mean it was a given. You know, yeah. they could have they could have decided to go with somebody else. You know, um, but but they chose to continue with me. So you were saying that Marvin is not exactly a role model of the character, but having played it three times in your life, do you feel that you sort of identify with the character at all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely identified with Marvin, you know, cause, because I, you know, I too, when I was, you know, when I was that age, when I was Marvin's age, you know, had a, you know, had a, a difficulty navigating relationships, you know, yeah. and I would, I could be very selfish at times. And, and, uh, there was just a lot of, you know, uh, there were just a, a lot of things about Marvin that I could, could easily identify with, you know, certainly, you know, at the time, you know, um, I could understand what he was going through. As a gay man, I could understand what he was feeling, what he was yeah. going through, and 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 yeah, I definitely, definitely could under you know, definitely could identify with him. And I under I, and I think that's also part of the reason that maybe, you know, I did well with him. You know, yeah. because I could understand him. So, was it? It must have been a big challenge to do both parts together. Was that harder for you as an actor? Or? Uh, the only thing about doing the two parts together was that it was it was exhausting. Yeah. Uh, it was, a, you know, it, it was just a lot of. Uh, it was very hard on my voice uh, because Mervyn does a lot of kind of not yelling, but you know, it's a very emotional role, and yeah. the shows are very emotional. And I found that that when we moved the show to Broadway and I was doing the two shows together, I was finding that by the end of an eight show week, my voice was really shot. I mean, yeah. my voice was just tired. So I ended up making a deal with the producers to only do seven shows a week. Mm -hmm. I was, I was able to make a deal with them where I, I didn't do the Wednesday matinee. Uh, so, and my understudy did that. So, um, I was able to, so that way I really ended up only having one two show day, which was on Saturday. Yeah. Um, and that made a world of difference because yeah. suddenly I could, uh, you know, just vocally, I was able to easily, not easily, but it was, cause it was still kind of hard, but mm -hmm. vocally I was able to do seven shows, uh, and not, and, and not lose my voice, <laughs> you know? So that, that helped a lot. So were the show or shows modified at all when you took it to Broadway, or was it really just one act and then an intermission and then the next? Uh, it was, you know, it was, it was basically just the two shows with an intermission between the two. But Bill had, when, the, when he put the two shows together, he rewrote a few of the lyrics, 
and a few things that, you know, like introduced, like say after the intermission, introduced, introduced the second act in a little different way. Yeah. Uh, and, but there was not, there, there really weren't a lot of changes made. Um, other than also, uh, the, uh, Trina, the, the wife has a song called I'm breaking down. And in the, in, in, in the first act, which was not in March of the falsettos, oh. uh, Bill put that in the first act of falsettos when the shows were put together for Trina to do. And that was the only major change is he, he, he added a song from March of the falsettos. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your relationship like with James Lapine, again, having worked with him so much on this show? Well, it was very good. Uh, you yeah. know, I mean, my relationship was great with James. Uh, you know, he was a, he was a very good director. Uh, he was, he knew what he wanted. He was very clear about yeah. what he wanted, which is always something an actor loves. Um, uh, so James was great. You know, uh, we, you know, we had a lot of fun together putting the show together. Uh, and so I enjoy, I enjoyed working with James a lot. Yeah. So what was it like for you or what did you think of the recent falsettos on Broadway? Uh, the revival I thought was terrific. Uh, mm -hmm. I thought the cast did a great job. I thought it looked great. Um, I thought that, that, you know, I mean, you know, truth is that I'll always remember what we did, yeah. our production, which was a, a bit different than what the new production that James directed. And there are certain things about, you know, about our production that, that, that will always, you know, always be very dear to me, hold a special place in my heart. Uh, but uh, I thought the revival of Falsettos was terrific. I thought, Christian Borrell was great as Marvin. Um, I thought everybody did, 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 you know, Stephanie Block as Trina was great. Every, everybody was really good. And I really enjoyed it, yeah. So what advice would you give, having played Marvin so many times, to anyone else who was playing Marvin? Well, I think that, you know, the, the, one of the biggest things about playing Marvin is... Um, He's, you know, he's got to be charming. You have yeah. to find a way to make the guy charming because the truth is some of the stuff that Marvin does, you know, like I, like I was saying before, he's kind of a jerk. Yeah. He can be, you know, he can be a not particularly nice guy. The way he treats his ex-wife, the way he treats his lover, Wizard, the way he treats his son sometimes. Yeah. So the, the audience still has to like you as much as possible so you know that's just any advice i would give to a, any actor who wants to play marvin is is don't don't forget that he's got to be charming somehow you know yeah. so around this time you had a short little career transition to being a writer you did two shows i think one on broadway and one off with jerry Culker. So yes. the first one was Three Guys Naked from the Waist Down. So yeah. when you started writing, do you think you always had the writer's instinct? Well, I had been writing, yeah, I had written music uh, since I was, uh, since I was like 
12 years old. I enjoyed oh. just mm. sitting at the piano, playing around, writing music. And um, Jerry Colker and I were, were actually at the Kennedy Center uh, early, in the, early in the 1980s doing a, a show called Swing that was a show that was headed to Broadway but never made it to Broadway. And, uh, and we would just sit around backstage thinking like, well, we should try writing something, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so we got this idea about writing a three-character musical about stand-up comics called Three Guys Naked from the Waist Down. Uh, and we did. We just went ahead and wrote it. Uh, I wrote the music. Jerry wrote the book and lyrics. And it got produced off-Broadway and had a nice run off-Broadway. Uh, and then a couple years after that, we wrote a show called Mail, M-A-I-L, uh, that was a big hit in Los Angeles. It, we ran in Los Angeles for several months. And then we came to Broadway, brought it back to Broadway, and it was not a success. It had a very mm -hmm. short run. It did not get very good reviews. This is what I, I'm talking about. about you get great reviews and bad <laughs> reviews. Yeah. Well, Mail in Los Angeles got great reviews. And we brought it back to New York, and we got terrible reviews. So mm -hmm. it just is the way the business is. That's how it goes sometimes. So um, that's what we did. You know? So in writing, what have you sort? What did you sort of learn or take from the composers that you'd worked with? Well, I just I, I just kind of learned to write what I enjoyed hearing. Does that make sense? I mean, I would write a melody, and 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 that I would sit at the piano, and I would sing it, and I would record it, and I would play it back and listen to it, and. I would simply picture myself in an audience and think like, would I enjoy hearing this song in a show? That's and that's really all it was. I would, I would just listen to what I had written with me singing it. And I would go like, oh, I like that. I, I think <laughs> if I was sitting yeah. in an audience, I'd enjoy hearing this in a show. Yeah. And then I would, you know, I would tweak it. I would change notes here and there. I would fix it. And that's kind of how I, and that's, basically what I learned from working with terrific composers like John Kander, yeah. you know, is, is like, I would just write something that I would want to sit in a theater and listen to. Yeah. Yeah. So you were saying that this show was, I mean, you're not a stand-up comic, you're an actor, but it is set in the same sort of entertainment business. So do you think you took anything from your own experience? Well, I just, uh, yeah, yeah, a little bit, I guess, you know, I just learned that, that, um, you know, we kind of wrote three, three characters that, that just really wanted to perform. I mean, they wanted to be in front of an audience. Yeah. And certainly there was a time when that's how I felt. I really wanted to be in front of an audience. Yeah. And so, if anything, I think, you know, there was a little bit of that that would brought it, that was brought into the characters in Three Guys Naked. Yeah. So was that, yeah. was it easy to get that produced or did it take a long time? Uh, no, it, no, it, it wasn't easy. I mean, we, we did a lot of backers auditions and we sent, uh, 
the demo out to a lot of producers, and uh, it took us actually, you know, it took us maybe about four years. You know, it took us about four years from the time we started shopping the show around to the time we finally got producers who said, okay, let's do this. So what was your partnership like with Jerry Culker, your writing partnership? Uh, It was okay. It wasn't the greatest partnership in the world. Um, You know, uh, Jerry was a very difficult person to work with a lot of times. Uh, We ended up, uh, ultimately, though, we we actually wrote two shows together. Uh, We ended, after the second show, we kind of ended up, you know, splitting up as collaborators. uh, Because uh, Jerry, you know, was just one of those kind of guys that, you know, always felt like he was right. And, uh, he could be very difficult to work with sometimes. He was a very, he's very, he was a very talented guy. Don't get me wrong, but he was not always easy to work with. So ultimately I ended up, uh, choosing not to continue my collaboration with him. Oh, so what was the show mail that you wrote about? And how did you sort of come up with the idea for it? The show Mail, it really was a, it really was Jerry's idea. I mean, it wasn't my idea. He had this idea to write a musical about a writer, a young writer who had this, you know, who was kind of having a nervous breakdown. Uh, and right at the beginning of the show, and he immediately disappears for like two months. Oh. And, he, and he then after we see a little passage of time very quickly, he comes back and, and there are two months worth of mail that have gathered in his apartment that are there that he's not answered at all. Now you got to remember, this is a time when there was no such thing as email. Yeah. You know, we didn't have computers back then. You know, this is a time when people really had to write letters and you, you didn't get, we didn't get stuff like we do online now. We, you know, so, so this, this writer in the middle of the night coming back starts to go through all of this mail that has accumulated while he's been gone and all of the people who have written to him suddenly appear and he interacts with them. And, and it's all, it's him interacting with all of these people that are in these letters that, um, but it's, it's, it was a very weird show, but it was really fun. It was really funny, uh, and very clever. And like I say, it was, it was a big, big hit in Los Angeles. You know, I mean, it, it just. You know, we sold out like every single night, practically. And then we moved, brought the show east, and it didn't work at all for the East Coast audiences <laughs> so or the critics. So it didn't last. Do you think you could say the reason that it works better on the I, You know, I, I, I really don't know. Because even in New York, when we brought the show to New York, even in New York, the audiences seem to be having a good time. You know? But the critics were so harsh on the show. Oh. 
that if anything, maybe it kept people from, from buying tickets or I don't know. The fact of the matter is it just, for whatever reason, we didn't sell enough tickets to really be able to continue paying the bills. And the show only ran about three weeks. You starred in that show yourself as well as writing it. So yes, when you yeah. were when you were writing it, did you write it with that in mind or? Oh no, no, not at all. Um, I ended up being in mail because um, when we were in the middle of writing it, the director Andy and Jerry both came to me and said, "Would you be willing to play?" the lead role. And Andy said, you know, even if you hadn't written this, I would cast you in this part. It's really you. And so I kind of reluctantly agreed to it initially. You know, I didn't really want to be in the show. And to be honest with you, uh, it's something that I always regretted doing. You know, I ended up uh, agreeing to do it and I committed, made the commitment and I ended up doing the show in California and then bringing it back to, to the East coast. And, um, but it was one of those experience, Charles, that, uh, experiences that I just never was happy with. Yeah. It's not something I would have ever done again. Uh, and I kind of regret having agreed to do it. Yeah. I want to ask you one more question about it though, which is what was it like to be in rehearsal on sort of both sides of the table? Well, that's, it was hard, and that's one of the reasons I regretted agreeing to be in the show, yeah. because I, uh, I, was do, I was just doing too much. Yeah. I was having, having to wear my actor's hat and wear my composer's hat at the same time. So I really felt like I wasn't being true to either, either role that I was playing. Yeah. I, I wasn't focused enough on being a composer, I wasn't focused enough on being an actor because I had to split my my uh, I had to split my time, you know. Yeah. yeah. So after this split up between you and Jerry Culker, was that when you sort of decided to go back to acting? Yeah. After the experience of Mayo, I thought, well, you know, I don't really want to, uh, you know, I don't really care about writing anything for a while. Yeah. So then after that. You know, pretty much right after that is when uh, Bob Fosse uh, offered me the revival of Sweet Charity. So I thought, well, this is a good way to get back into the acting game. You know, uh, working with a director that I've worked with before and that I liked. And um, and, and I started, you know, that's kind of, I got kind of involved in that. So you, I was just going to ask you how you got involved in that. So he offered you that? Well, that's it. Yeah, I, I actually had to. Uh, he wa- he wanted me to be in the show, but I had I needed to audition for Cy Coleman, who was the writer, the composer. Oh, yeah. um, so um, so he brought me in to audition for Cy, and I sang a song, and uh, and Cy approved me. You know, he thought I'd be great. You know, in the show. So that's how I got involved in Sweet Charity. So how much was Cy Coleman around at rehearsals? Uh, he was around a lot. Oh, really? You know, Cy, Cy was actually around quite a bit, yeah. Um, because he had rewritten the music for the song, one of the songs I sang, the title song, Sweet Charity. Oh. 
and he wanted to make sure it worked well on my voice. Uh, so he was there for that. You know, he, he was around quite a bit, actually. He was pretty involved. So what was it like to work with Bob Fosse again at different stages in both of your careers? Well, it was, it was great again. I mean, it was comfortable working with Bob because I knew him from having worked with him uh, a few years, you know, some years earlier on Pippin. And uh, he was, um, you know, he, he it was just a kind of a very comfortable relationship that we had. And, yeah. and he, again, was a very good director to work with. I mean, he really knew what he was doing. And he, he just, uh, you know, he... he he guided me through, you know, some of the crazier uh, things in the show that, that my character had to do, yeah. uh, just in terms of the comedy of it, you know, and and uh, it was great. It was a great relationship, absolutely. So you were mentioning earlier that you don't feel as comfortable as a dancer, but I imagine you did have to dance in this show? No, I didn't, oh, actually. Didn't. No, I did no dancing in the show at all. Yeah. Oh, really? No, because it's really it's pretty much only the girls in charity that really yeah. have to do the real dancing, and and some of the guys in the ensemble. Uh, but no, I had no dancing to do. I've been very lucky in my life. I guess because they know I'm not really a dancer. I've I've been cast. I was always cast in roles, pretty much, where I didn't have to do any dancing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. But you were working with a lot of famous dancers, Debbie Allen, and I think B.B. Newworth was in it, too. So yes, what, yeah. were, what were they like? Oh, well, they were great. I, I mean, uh, you know, Debbie was, uh, they were very professional. Debbie Allen was one of the funniest people I've ever worked with. Um, we, she and I always had a great time together, and we laughed a lot. B.B. Uh, was, was, you know, just terrific as Nikki in the show, uh, and, and, you know, she was a very hard worker. Allison Williams was, was the other girl in the show. She was great. It was a, it was a really good group of people and, and a pleasure to work with them. So when you perform in revivals, I guess, how much do you try to sort of find out about the original, if anything at all? I just, you know, with with Sweet Charity, I didn't, uh, I had never seen the original uh, production. I had never seen any production of the show. Uh, I never saw the movie. Uh, oh, really? So I didn't really have anything to go on other than just making it my own. You know, the same thing happened some years later when I, when I was a replacement in City of Angels on Broadway. Uh, I had not really seen the show when I was cast in the show. So, uh, and, and, uh, so I just was able to kind of make, make it my own. And that's what happened with Sweet Charity. So did you have any interaction with Gwen Verdon during the run of that? Uh, I didn't, well, well yeah, very little during the run, but she was there for rehearsal. Oh. I mean, she, she actually assisted Bob when we were, we were putting the show together. So she was actually there a lot. So I got to know Gwen very well. Oh. And uh, she was also always really terrific. So how did you sort of observe her and Bob Fosse working together? Um, they, you know, they got along very well on the show. You know, there's a lot of times uh, during Sweet Charity when she, uh, she really reminded Bob of the choreography. He didn't remember a lot yeah. of what he had done, but you she know. did. So she was really 
instrumental in putting that revival together. I mean, she mm-hmm. really remembered a lot of stuff from the original that Bob had forgotten. Yeah. And, yeah. and Bob really wanted to recreate a lot of what he had done originally. So she was really helpful. Yeah. So the next show you did was a Sondheim review called Putting It Together off Broadway. Uh-huh. So how much of Sondheim's catalog did you already know? Uh, I really didn't know much of, of Steve's catalog. Uh, you know, I, I had seen his, some of his shows, of course. You know, I knew some of the songs from, from that. I had never, other than the song Being Alive from Company, I had never sung any of his material, his songs. Um, So this was, you know, pretty much new for me, all of this. You know, um, I, of course, recognized some of the songs. There were a few songs in putting it together that were not in his shows that had been cut from his shows. Uh, uh, Mm -hmm. One of them, I did uh, a song called Bang, that was not in uh, his show, A Little Night Music, but I got to sing it in, a, in Putting It Together. Um, and um, another song called Live Alone and Like It was from the movie Dick Tracy, which I had not seen. Um, so, I, you know, so it was, it was like coming at a lot of this material with really fresh eyes and fresh yeah. ears. Yeah. So I was going to ask if you, did you know him before, and was he sort of the one asking you to do it, or? Uh, well, they asked me to do it. Uh, I didn't, I really didn't know Stephen, you know, before yeah. putting it together. Um, but Julia McKenzie, who directed Putting It Together, she was from London, and she knew my work. And Cameron McIntosh was co-producing it with Manhattan Theater Club. He knew my work. And Stephen knew my work, uh, so they just all asked me to do the show, and you know, and um, so that's really how that kind of that thing all came about. So, what was it like to work with Sondheim during the rehearsals and the run and everything? Oh, he was great. He was great. You know, he was he was really, uh, you know, he really. Uh, was very picky about how you sung a lot of his work, you know, but he was, um, he was very, you know, he was, he was very good to work with. He was a nice guy. And, and again, we worked, but he was very exacting in about how he wanted things done. You know, he was very, very exacting about this. So, so, did you like the songs that you ended up doing in that review? And did you have any say? in the songs you ended up doing? Uh, you know, I didn't really have any say in it because uh, Julia and and Steve, uh, Julia McKenzie and Stephen Sondheim had kind of put all of this together. So they kind of knew what they wanted. They kind of had mm-hmm. the story worked out with the songs. Um, but I enjoyed, I really enjoyed the material that I had. You know, yeah. I, I didn't really... But no, I, I didn't really have a choice in what I was doing because, yeah. um, of course, if I had ever, they, you know, they told me if there's anything here you don't want to do, let, let us know. But pretty much everything that they gave me to do, um, I really did, you know, I really did enjoy. And I, and, and I you know, I did, you know, so I had a good time. Absolutely. Yeah. So you worked with not just Sondheim, but another legend of the 
of the theater, Julie Andrews, on this. So what was it like to work with her? Well, she was, she was terrific. Uh, you know, she was, um, well, first of all, I, all I could think about was like, I'm working with Mary Poppins. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm working with, you know, uh, I, I'm working with, uh, I'm working with Maria from the sound of music. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I thought like, oh my God, but she was really a lovely person to work with. Mm. She was really nice. She worked as hard as any of us to try to get that show right and to, to, to give great performances. Um, so it was really, it was really fun. And it really was like working with a legend, you know, yeah. that was really something. Is there a Sondheim role that you would like to do in full? You know something, to be honest with you, there really isn't. There really hasn't ever been too many roles in theater that um, that I really, you know, had a great desire to do, like a burning desire to do them. Yeah. Um, more interesting to me has always been, you know, to, uh, creating a new role. You know, yeah. that is really interesting to me. And um, so I love that, you know. But I can't think of really any. I mean, there's certainly some Sondheim roles that I admire. Yeah. You know, something like like Sweeney Todd. You know, that's that's an amazing role from back in the day. You know, um, but there isn't anything. No, to be honest with you. Uh, sure. This is where part one of my interview with the wonderful Michael Rupert leaves off. I hope you all will remember to tune back in for the second part of this episode. Thanks for tuning in.